This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh! The Horror. It's a podcast that's dedicated to modern and classic horror films and it's also a little late this week. Apologies for that. We've had a, a bit of internet troubles peek behind the curtain. Uh, we're actually not in the same state and uh, Rob had a bit of internet troubles on uh, in in Maryland there. Uh, Virginia, Virgi- actually. Virginia, I had, uh... God, Virginia. No, no, no I gotta, it's cool. I it's cool. I can't wait to meet Virginia. <laughs> I had a I had a tree limb fall on uh, the the phone cord the phone line outside and it, it tore everything out at one thirty in the morning. I had actually just finished watching uh, Return of the Living Dead and then like t- three minutes later I hear this big loud crash. I go outside and I see a downed line. So that was absolutely fun. absolutely vicious winds yeah. in Virginia Beach. Yeah. So uh, today we have brought to you 1985's. The Return of the Living Dead, directed by Dan O'Bannon. Yes. Uh, so, like, this is probably one of the staples of 1980s horror cult canon. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I think I would that say this so. is like the iconic type of film for like horror enthusiasts, like gore house, like comedy horror. Like, it, this kind of like is one of the gems. Of this like entire '80s canon, and th- and like man, am I glad to have seen this here? Right? Had you not seen this movie before? Never have I seen this movie. Wow. So this is a very interesting film. Uh, so John Russo, uh, Johnny Russo, he was the co-writer of Night of the Living Dead. So this film starts off with a couple of the characters referencing. Uh, Night of the Living Dead is, you know, being a movie that existed, but that they had the chemical existing in their uh, factory or their warehouse, uh, and that it's all based on true events. Well, it's interesting because this is kind of a quasi-sequel. Uh, because Johnny Russo had co-written the script with with Romero, he had done a treatment or done a screenplay, and it got picked up, and Dan O'Bannon was chosen as the director, and they kind of wanted to, he wanted to differentiate it from what Romero had done. So he decided, they rewrote the script, pretty much the entire thing, and infused a lot of comedy into it, and now we have Return of the Living Dead, which gives you the introduction of brain-eating zombies. Like, we now know they're not just eating human flesh, which they were in Night of the Living Dead. Now they're specifically going after brains, and they are unstoppable in this version. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Oh, so, so l- a, lot of, a lot of the kind of interesting thing that this movie does before we get into, like, kind of the nitty-gritty, it's actually a bit of a intriguing entry into the zombie canon as we know it because it's kind of given quite a few things that we did and kind of didn't see before and kind of like makes that like ironclad now uh a treating the night of the living dead as like canon for like this world and then building off of that because 
of all previous knowledge because of it. it it's weird because like they actually reference those zombie movies. Yeah, and but like, it's, oh yeah, it's weird because it's canon, but it's faux canon at the same time because we find out yes, it's all supposedly existed for real, and Romero had a it was covered up and it was a hush hush type thing. So it's supposed to take place in the real world, but the actual zombies that they have to go up against, which they're actually called zombies in this, um, which they you know they aren't in in Night of the Living Dead or I think the Dead series in general, they never really say zombie. Um, and because he owned the Living Dead rights, that's why this is one of those in Romero's state as Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, and Dawn of the Dead, because I guess Russo had the Living Dead uh, moniker. What's interesting about the rules of this world, though, is that everything we know about those zombies, nope, null and void. These cannot die. They just keep coming after you. They're like, what do you mean? The movies lied? Yes, Tom Matthews, the movies lied. <laughs> and which is, which is a great, hilarious sort of thing. It's like, oh, those movies might not be real. Like, that's right. <laughs> and I love I love that moment to it, but I also love that it's it pays homage to it as well. There's the third step break that you you know you see in the in Night of the Living Dead, and you also see that in this as well, coming up from the basement area. Um, and and this film is just it's so fun. It's such a fun version of that whole Night of the Living Dead universe, and then just saying, "Cool, we're gonna one up it," and then we're gonna one up it again, and we're just gonna keep doing that throughout this entire film. But it works, and it's so much fun. Well, it takes a lot of the things that we that I could assume that were like quintessential '80s. A being incredibly over the top, so over the top, so much that it makes it furthermore hilarious. Because a lot of the a lot of the types of like '80s bad acting or uh, like like t typical tropes of characters in '80s films were very easily taken the piss out of in here. Where we get to like I love a I love a good uh, '1980s designed uh, punk kid. Oh <laughs> and, my! Like, and, and it's it, just and, it's the amalgamation of the '80s in this group where you're like, how the hell do you guys know each other? I, oh yeah, it's it's the cartoon breakfast yeah. club out for a zombie sex romp. That's exactly yeah, exactly what it's that that is that is exactly what this movie is. Except they except it's like uh, it seems that a couple of the characters like suicide. Um, who, you know, you might remember, actually, there's two people who are in Friday the 13th Part 5 in here, um, which is pretty amazing. You have Miguel A. Nunez Jr., who played Spider, and Mark Venturini, who played Suicide, but they were both in, yeah, Friday the 13th Part 5. Which is interesting, because it makes it feel like they clearly were, like, they knew what they were doing casting these people. Yeah. Oh, they like, totally knew what they were doing. They had this down. Linnea Quigley being on there is trash. Like, it, it was perfect. Apparently, Jewel Shepard was offered the role, but she was like, I'm tired of getting naked in movies. Please make me another character. So they did, and they brought in Linnea Quigley, who... I mean, this movie just oozes sex and violence and just humor. Yeah, to be fair, there there was a lot of naked lady in this movie. <laughs> oh, it's... I mean, it's, it's full reveal and just doing this dance... And it's insane and gratuitous, but at the same time, it's like hilarious. It's yeah, like it's absolutely and really hilarious. well, but it's really well shot too because you have Chuck, uh, who's holding the boombox in the foreground. She's dancing in the background. All this lighting coming up off the sides of it, and it's just such a 
a really cool scene and and it's a very sexual scene but it's not at the same time because then you have suicide just not caring about uh, yeah, sex like have at some all. fucking respect for the dead. She is, <laughs> like, yeah, she's all over him, and then she's just like, yeah, have some fucking respect for the dead, and uh, then she talks about her her fateful thing of how she would want to die, and that's being eaten by a bunch of old men, just torn apart and eaten. And uh, too funny, too yeah, funny. Yeah, it's um, good. It's again, good foreshadowing. I think, I think this one of the more great. striking things about this movie is actually the diversity of makeup and practical effects that we have going on here there's a lot going on in this movie yeah when we think of a zombie movie we think of like a sort of uniform design or look for a zombie whereas these like almost every single one is different and unique and not only do they like have like a range of like colors that they occupy like from like green to gray to white and black like it's it's so crazy to think of like the actual and they talk like these zombies like are conscious that that to me is cool we get we get something new that we kind of touched on you know with day of the dead a little bit about the idea do zombies have thoughts and stuff and this just goes beyond that and it's like look man they talk um and they're going to explain what they're doing conversations they could imitate other people to lure them away like they're smart oh Send more paramedics. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so good. And then just the running gag of that the entire time, like, send more cops. It's such an amazing gag. And the gags throughout are just awesome. And there's a lot of stuff that's very layered in this film that when you watch it over and over and over again, fans have picked up on things that uh, the director has even said, yeah, that's that's a character trait that we kind of built in. Uh, when we originally wrote the script, but we never explained it out directly. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's a very sort of um, it's a manic movie. It's a movie that like it, again, the acting from uh, the any older character is completely hilarious and over the top. But every time that somebody needs to say, "God damn it, dude!" Like it, it's it so was funny. So Clue Gallagher, who played Bert, the boss, who comes in and kind of just is going through there and manic and talking about burning up the bodies and it will burn everything. Chewing the scenery th- at he every. Got, oh, absolutely! But he got thrown in last minute. So oh, he's great. He, he's he perfect. Was, and he was la- so everyone else had rehearsed together and he hadn't. So he's just like on set, just showing up there and doing his thing. Uh, James Karen is killing it as Frank. He is so good. He and Tom Matthews working together as Frank and Freddie. It's such a great team, even right off the bat, just watching their interactions when he's showing them around the warehouse. Like that scene, I love that opening scene. It's it's so good. It's so yeah. so good. And, and then, a lot of good world building as well. Absolutely. And watching their interaction from there. And then, you know, you meet like the punks, basically, I guess the punks, uh, you know, it's the best way to, to really put it in this, um, all hanging out together. And you realize that, uh, who is it? Tina has been dating Freddie and you're kind of like, wait, Tina and Freddie, I guess Freddie has a jacket that says, fuck you on the back of it. Very. Okay. Uh, it just seems like a strange pairing, but I guess why not? This is the breakfast club type group all brought together. But it's so much fun just watching that that opening scene of getting to know all these people and little traits about them. And then, it, you know, it takes a while for stuff to really even happen. You have that opening scene in the first eight minutes where they hit the tank and they get sprayed in the face. 
and you know they have to kill the half dog and they have to try and kill the yellow body that they have in there but it keeps attacking them and then we get introduced to Bert and the pickaxe and everything it's insane and it's so much I mean I have I have a blast with that that scene and even that in itself was great but then they're like yeah well yeah yeah go ahead well, and it's and it's also a very uh, fantastically paced movie as well because there always can be this sort of info dumpy scene of just everybody going over the top and explaining something. And, oh yeah, but it, but like it's valid. It's it's integral to the plot and like what what needs to be coming next. But then there will also just be a hilarious sort of like gross out scene or a beheading or a new practical effect that's going to blow your mind with a new like dirt zombie is crazy good like there's always something to keep you going it moves and it never overstays its welcome in one scene or another yeah there's a lot of variety in it and that's that's enjoyable i i really do like that um i also like you know the action doesn't hit really until they get over to the crematorium or the morgue with uh with ernie um who this is weird so one of the things Apparently, Ernie is a Nazi in hiding, says Dan O'Bannon. I guess it was written in the script because if you look at some of the stuff that he says, it's German phrases. The pistol that he has was like uh, one from World War II. There was a lot of uh, the music that he's playing and everything that's going on with it. Apparently, the idea was either he was a Nazi in hiding or a Nazi sympathizer or something like that. Very crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but then he, and then he, they burn up the, 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 what is supposedly rabid weasels, which he shows them is a body. Um, and then, oh God, that's even more horrifying when you think about the whole crematorium thing and burning up the, and how like callous he really is about just turning up the heat higher to burn up everything. Uh, oh, that's absolutely horrific. God, that's and, like, hard. Kind of, that's and, and, and that's, a very interesting, uh, it, sort of nugget for the script God, to like just yeah. hide away. I can see why it was kind of hidden away more um, just because that's really a horrifying thing to think about for this character who, you know, you don't really want any of them to die. But then now knowing this, you're kind of like, oh, Ernie, you're you're horrible. Um, but then seeing we then we get introduced once they burn that that um, infected corpse it starts raining they think everything's totally fine then your movie starts then your movie really just is like oh hey guys by the way what you did was uh all that that smoke you know when it rained it all came down it soaked into the ground and now zombies are everywhere everywhere yeah it, it's so crazy and the, like again the pop-out scenes of a, a different zombie skeletons like half skeletons like partially flesh with eyeballs like seemingly made of tar oh it's, it's tar like man tar man is the best tar man it's is one of so my favorite crazy. character designs ever the eyes it's the eyes and the fact that you get that first brains it's so iconic in that moment when he yeah, just pops absolutely. out that's how, that's how we get brains like brains. That's, where, that's where it came from yeah and it bites bites suicide in the head and this blood geyser this insane hardcore just spray out of his head and it just pours all over and we get introduced to what return of the living dead is really all about it's gorgeous it's absolutely yeah. great it's, um so i uh, i've i've really wanted to kind of like pick apart what actually went into tarman because it seems that his face is like made of a puppet like it's like a like prosthetic like wiry thing like right. for the skull 
yeah, it seems like there there is a lot of that in there. Maybe some. I don't know if it was. See, I haven't I haven't delved too far into the making of of Tarman himself, um, but I'm thinking it's a combination of that used with some uh, uh, animatronics, maybe uh, to go into the face, you know, for the eyes and everything like that. But it's so well done. And then, as you said, the variety in this, you, you really never know what you're going to see. Like at the one moment where. Um, Scuzz gets bitten in the head as well. There's a couple of people who just, they go straight for the brain and chew on part of it too. She pulls out this uh, half-female zombie. She actually gets chopped in half through the door and shredded. She's really, uh, you know, shriveled up. Speaks very, very well though and is very understanding of what is going on. She straight up just explains brains. We want to eat brains. When we eat them, we feel better. It makes the pain go away. Um, it, which is again like kind of deep and dark. <laughs> like it really is, and it's such a cool moment. Like I really love watching. She keeps pulling up, trying and stretching out. You see the neck pulling, trying to eat the spine, wiggling back and forth, and fluid coming out from it because she had just broken apart. There's a lot of there's a lot of attention to detail in this that I really appreciate, and it's another part of the variety. It's like, hey, we're gonna do puppets for this. We're gonna do animatronics for this. We're going to do people in makeup for this. We're going to do a full skeleton rig um, for this one. It, it just seemed like the guys had a blast, you know, making this movie. The special effects team just probably had a field day. It, it's an absolute, like, joy to see this amount of variety in the actual uh, effects that are going into this. And compared with the, again, it's never too serious. It's never too... Uh, much of a downer uh, a lot of the a lot of horror films and a lot of uh just particularly the living dead series not exactly the most fun uh horror films to watch and i think this one it like of the ones that i know of and the ones that i've seen this is easily like the most upbeat and fun that you'll have seeing one the effect that i, I think that i keep going back to is uh kind of one incorporating stunts and like actual danger so like every time that they're inside of that house and they're like building up barricades and like kind of chopping away at the zombies which is awesome by the way because it's just so frantic and hilarious but whenever uh there, there was a part where like they're trying to board up a wall and uh i can't remember his name i think it was uh one of the older guys he like he chops at a arm that uh is clearly like hanging and it's a prop and it's like supposed to be cut off and like severed like for gore effects, but like it's he's using a real axe, and right next to that arm is actual stuntmen arms, just like flailing around, like and it could just as easily I mean, hit something. That's just that's good. That's uh, good choreography, I guess. I suppose, or, like, or just like, really good luck in, me out. in I'm a like, situation. There's actual people's arms right by this axe, and I was like, ah, that's you can't fake that. No, and I and this is that yeah, that's pretty insane. I didn't even notice that as much. Um, this, this film in general to me is just kind of a, a smorgasbord of craziness. Uh, once we, once we, actually from, I, I think from start to finish, and it is, a, in my opinion, it's a really dark film when you think about it. It does not end well for anybody, anyone at all. Um, except for, I guess, the military. It ends well for the military. But it doesn't, no, it really doesn't. Even, even with that, it doesn't end because it literally starts history really does repeat itself at the end of this film because we get the same clip from the initial uh graveyard scene and that zombie coming out and then we get a you know that montage of the at the end of uh 
of all the fun stuff that, that we saw in the movie. Um, yeah, this movie's super dark, man. Like, nobody really makes it. And it's it's just amazing because of that. So but, then they uh, really But also, push... like, you don't, like, you're not really that bummed out about it, like, in a weird way. Because, again, it's so cartoonish, that, like, son of, that sort of final solution that the army comes up with. Oh, man, so awful. But, you know, when you're, when you're watching these people, they've made some pretty terrible decisions throughout. We, you know, we know that Frank and Freddy are gone at this point. You know it's not going to end well for them. He's going after his girlfriend. It looks like it's the end for, for uh, you know, a couple of them at, at a certain point. And, yeah, like when, when Ernie and Tina are up in the attic and Freddy says he broke his hand off trying to get up there, but it's okay, he just wants to eat her brains, you know that's not going to end well. He even has the gun up to Tina's head, and you're just like, all right, well, damn. And then, you know, we end up seeing what's happening with everybody else. And <laughs> Clue Gallagher, who just has called this thing in to the military, thinks everything's going to be okay, and they just hear that whistle coming down. And they're like, oh, I wonder what that is. Um, and then everything just gets wiped out. And at first you kind of wonder and you realize, wow, 20 square blocks just completely destroyed. Um, and the military thought that would be their way of, of doing this. Had they been breached, I guess had they not been breached, completely different story. They would go in there and retrieve the barrels. But when they found out the barrels had been breached, uh, end of story. No, but it's, it's so crazy because I, when, when they call into the army and like, there's like, oh, we, apparently they have some contingency plan. The workaround for like, for the time that they're on hold is like, yeah agonizingly long and it's just like some like army guy like getting up out of bed walking oh, to the yeah. thing ta like talking to a guy and it's just like a guy on the phone being like okay yeah yep mm -hmm. like just like completely derailing all of this craziness that we've been seeing for the past like hour and a half it's like all right yeah it's, and what did it, they do it's, it's such an amazing right. moment it's kind of yeah, like it, it's basically like the ending of, of night of the living dead when people are trying to make it out safely and then you know our hero at the end just gets shot and and killed and it's the same situation that we run into here um where they're trying to make it out they think they're gonna get you know get help and instead of you know a small bullet it's a giant bomb uh that's shot out of a howitzer for some reason i mean again just completely cartoonish and wild yeah, it's, uh, it's so over the top. But, you know, and then if, speaking of cartoonish and over the top, uh, when we get to Trash's death, Linnea Quigley's, which she's still naked. She's naked for, like, the, the once we hit the 20-minute mark, she is naked for the rest of the movie. But she, you know, she gets eaten alive because once she, she's the tough girl, and then the second shit goes down, she's freaking out. The acid rain, she's freaking out. Well, she's burning because of that. Um, and then, you know, they don't help when I guess Scuzz or Chuck end up messing up the roof. I guess Chuck messes up the roof and it all pours in. Uh, and that's why they have to run over to the, to the warehouse, which leads to uh, a lot of their deaths. But seeing that moment, uh, of her just kind of freaking out and then getting eaten alive or eaten up. And then that moment where we get the remix, of her, the song she's dancing to. Oh, um, yeah. I kept noticing being, that. I'm like, oh, that's familiar. And it was like, behold right. the remix. <laughs> and then she's like being reborn. And it's this cool, you know, moment from that. Uh, and then she just, you see her as this zombie and the mouth stretches out as she's going after him. She's almost like a leader of some of the zombies, which is really cool. Uh, I just love how they just built out this very comic booky world. 
Yeah, and again, yeah. like they toy with the idea and lore of zombies in a way that I don't even know if I've seen since. Because we have a sort of like ironclad canon or like thing that we can understand a zombie to be at this point but like back in the 80s they were just like playing around with shit and i think this is the most fun that they seem to have with that toy box of oh okay well zombies can communicate to each other like they remember what their human hosts like memories were like they bl- he blamed her for cutting his foot off or something like that it it was crazy uh and like all of the crazy designs all of these like great little uh, touches that add a bit more variety to what we know a zombie to be. I absolutely loved it. It, it was so much fun. Yeah, this is uh, this is a blast of a movie. Now, what's strange is that you know this movie comes out. Uh, we get Return of the Living Dead two, which we get James Karen and Tom Matthews coming back, except this time they're grave robbers. Um, it, but they're playing different characters, but same actors, and the same situation happens to them. The exact same thing from the first movie, uh, and and that it's a lot of fun. Like Return of the Living Dead Part Two, it's not it's not as good as Return of the Living Dead at all. It's fun. It definitely kind of suffers from like the late '80s decline. There were some moments where some of the sequels coming out in the late '80s were. They were goofy and they're fun, but they just don't live up to the predecessors at all. I guess that's kind of with a lot of sequels in general, but I find it more prevalent when you get into the late 80s that those sequels ended up being some of the most divisive. Right. Um, And and I mean, like, that's kind of, again, that's kind of one of the being a victim of the 80s a little bit, where, like, that's kind of all they were doing. Yeah, like, Return of the Living Dead 2 was kind of unnecessary. When you're bringing back two characters to do the same bit, you know, it's cool, you bring back Tarman again, great, but it just didn't really fit, it didn't really up the stakes. It had some really cool moments, um, but but definitely not as good as the first. The third one, Brian Usna directed, and it totally went off the rails. It is completely meant to be a horror film. They They take out the comedy... It becomes more of a the in order for the, the zombies to deal with stuff, they can put you know glass or stuff into them. The more pain they go through, the better off they are. Something like that. I to me, it was just a weird body mod movie that I just wasn't into. Um, but you know what? I will say this: that film came out in '93. It looks really cool. The special effects are are amazing. Like they really went above and beyond with that i do miss the comedy of that but i would totally rather watch return of the living dead 3 than part 4 and 5 which came out in 2005 for like sci-fi channel those two movies are that really just killed the idea of bringing back the franchise like they were return of the living dead necropolis and return of the living dead rave to the grave film back to back same director uh six million dollars i think total so it was three million a piece total garbage movies absolutely terrible in every way possible it's an embarrassment to the series um and unfortunately they exist so and here's my point where it's movies like this that we saw at this episode where i can easily see a line between some iconic uh pop directors of our time like i could easily see how edgar wright loves this movie i could easily see how a lot of great directors that we know and love now look back to movies like this because this is the this is the type of fun experimental and kind of radical stuff 
that we aren't exactly used to seeing and it completely changes the bar for what we know it uh, to be and like i i see like a direct line between like this movie and like Shaun of the Dead or the even the Zack Snyder remake of right. Night of the Living Dead like it all of those things uh, can Dawn be brought Dead, back yeah. to here or Dawn of the Dead excuse me uh, it, like all of that can be traced back to movies like this where yeah. they pushed the envelope they had fun well, and they, they tried creative. something different well yes, and then exactly. you know the, in the creativity you know Dan O'Bannon was really cool about letting characters develop more like James Karen didn't want to be out in the freezing rain during the whole zombie scene of everyone getting eaten up um you know with the whole hey let's bring all more paramedics more cops till it's this insane comedy of of errors where people are getting eaten and it's it's just awesome um but James Karen wanted to have a different death so they came up with that really cool death of where he realized like he's going to turn he's dead you know he doesn't want to become like that he's in a ton of pain he takes off his wedding ring and he puts himself he even says at one point for the uh you know for the crematorium um he even says that he could operate that thing and he does uh for himself and i that death scene was was amazing like it's so well done it was so well executed and i think it really just brought the movie to a whole new level yeah, it's crazy. I, I I really completely agree with that because again, it never it never gets too one way. Like I I was I was doubled over laughing at some stuff, and then like at the next moment you're like, oh wow, that like you're thinking about it for a minute. Like oh this this movie has like some some breath here that I did not know that it had. Yeah, I mean when you're when you're realizing that two of your characters are have died in front of you and are going through rigor mortis. And you realize what that is and how brutal it is and the sound design for some of that. I mean, it, it was, they're very jarring moments to a movie that at times is really just absolutely hilarious, but it's cringeworthy and you're squeamish and you don't know what to expect because the rules don't exist anymore. The rules are gone. The rules have gone out the window in the first, you know, 20 minutes of this movie. Um, 15 minutes probably. And that that's what I think makes this a very special film it makes it very iconic i think it's even underrated to a point because people don't really talk about return of the living dead in you know regular pop culture it's kind of more of a niche niche movie for for horror fans you know yeah it's 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 very interesting how little i hear this talked about uh at least with even casual horror fans because i feel like this is kind of essential absolutely Uh, with without question yeah it, it, it certainly is. If you even have a uh, an inkling about uh, even '80s films, it, it, comedy films, horror films, like th- this, this runs the gambit. Like I wouldn't even, I could, ba- I could barely call this a horror film in the same way that I could call thriller a scary music video. Like it's just like a sight to behold. It's More just fun, yeah. It, it's it's spectacle, you know. That's what it is. You're gonna have a good time with it. The dialogue's great. The dialogue's a lot of fun, and it's not perfect. Sometimes it's very, you know, expository, uh, just to get stuff on the table. But it's, I just have a good time with it, and I, and it's one of those movies that I can just watch over and over and over. The rewatchability is just so good with this, uh, and you don't, you don't, you. There are very few films that can have the rewatchability factor that this movie does. It really, really does. Uh, it, it, the movie's dense. Uh, it's colorful. 
It's energetic. It's fun. It's it is probably one of the easiest recommends that I could give since doing this podcast. It's super super good. That's good to hear, man. I'm glad you liked yeah, it. I thought absolutely. you would. I thought this would be uh, you know, a really oh, fun. No, I mean my 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 palate is cleansed from from uh from pretty much everything that we have go- we've gone through in the past maybe four episodes. Not that bad taste left a bad taste in my mouth. Right, right, but, but I you know, I get where you're coming from because we're we're coming from an Italian horror trilogy that some people it, it, there's love and hate throughout the entire trilogy i felt the same way about you know one of the films at least uh well two of the films because you know we liked one and uh, we both hated one um yes, and absolutely. then with, with bad taste it, it is a film that is more of uh viewed for historical value i think more than anything now um it's still it's a fun movie still um but this one, yeah, Return of the Living Dead, it's, just, it's, it's something else entirely. It's, it's kind of a master class of fun zombie filmmaking, showing that you can innovate and take something and enhance it that much more. And then zombies eating brains, that's the new, that's the new norm. The, the, the final frontier, one might say. Uh, yeah, but it's great. This movie is absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'm pretty sure that is going to do it for us this week on oh the horror uh so what do we have in the pipeline next week rob oh man uh so we are gonna take a look at the 1994 john carpenter classic in the mouth of madness starring sam neill i was about to say like if is sam neill in it if so i'm watching it for the podcast yes like it, oh sam neill's in it great uh yes he is the star if, of the skip movie. that episode we recommend it that's that's all that's all we can say yeah, you're gonna you'll have fun with this movie. Um, anyway, you should see it. It is on Shutter right now, so you know make sure to to see that before you listen to next week's podcast because there will be all of the spoilers. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, and uh, if you like this show, feel free to check us out pretty much everywhere you can get your podcasts: iTunes, Stitcher, uh, any platform, any app. You can find us there. Uh, feel free to give us a review if you're so inclined. If you like the show, you can get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at OhTheHorrorCast on pretty much all of those platforms and at OhTheHorrorCast at gmail.com if you want to have some suggestions or uh, just want to get into contact with us and say hi. We appreciate that quite a bit. But that is going to do it for us this week. I've been Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. And we'll see you again next week, everybody. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.